hello, Australia. Hello, New Zealand. We're coming to see you. That's right. Are you psyched? I'm psyched, man. I'm ready to encounter all the deadly animals yeah. that are going to be in our way. I'm ready to hug a koala bear. G- buy a giant knife. I'm ready to uh, play a didgeridoo. Yeah. What other weird tropes can we talk about? Well, we could probably drink a few <laughs> oil cans of Foster, the national beer down there. Maybe a slab. I can't wait to get beat up by everybody for saying all this stupid stuff that we've said over the years. All right, everyone. We're super excited. Years in the making. We are coming to see you Saturday, September 1st at the Astor Theater in Perth. Sunday, September 2nd, ICC in Brisbane. Monday, September 3rd at Goldfields Theater in Melbourne. Thursday the 6th at Inmore Theater in Sydney. And we're going to wrap it up in fine style at the Bruce Mason Theater in Auckland, New Zealand. It is going to be a great time. Tickets are on sale now as of April 17th. And you can go to sysklive.com for more info and buy tickets. See you soon. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry. Guess what Jerry's doing? She's eating her lunch, which is what she always does. So that makes this stuff you should know. Uh, just back from the road, big grueling two, two city tour. It was kind of grueling because I get really, really nervous before DC shows in particular. Yeah, so thank you to Boston, Massachusetts, the Commonwealth. Making it. Nice and easy and relaxing. Uh, the Commonwealth and the District. We didn't go to, we didn't go to a state. No, we didn't, did we? Yeah. You know those <laughs> poor schmoes in um, in DC can't even. They don't even have representation. Yeah, but they can buy weed. Really, I didn't know that. I don't know if it's. I don't know if they have shops, but I know that DC is one of the places that supposedly voted it in. Huh. But it usually takes years after to roll that out. Sure. To roll that up. It's a big thing. (laughs) I read a really, really interesting article. I think it was in The New Yorker years back when right after Washington and Oregon passed. They were the first to pass recreational, right? Yeah. And I can't remember who it profiled or what state the guy was working for, but it was this guy who basically was like, okay, the voters voted this in. Go figure out how to do this Mm -hmm. and, like, do it right so that we actually get rid of illegal weed and organized crime and all that stuff, but also um, don't hurt the alcohol lobby. Like, this guy had so many interesting air or balls juggling in the air that it was a really great article. Check it out. I don't remember what it was called. I'm pretty sure it was The New Yorker. No recollection of the year. (laughs) Go. Wait. I just left. (laughs) <laughs> so we're talking today not about weed or the New Yorker or anything like that, even Jerry's lunch. Chuck, we're talking about Ferraris, one of the most beautiful cars, car lines, one of the greatest automotive manufacturers of all time. Yeah, it's funny. Dudes like you and I, obviously, there's one Ferrari to us, although I have grown to appreciate other Ferraris over the years like the Ferris Bueller Ferrari Mm -hmm, and some of those older cool ones. Mm -hmm. But for guys like us, the Magnum PI Ferrari is the Ferrari to end all Ferraris. What is that, like the 330S, I think? I don't even remember. I just call it the Magnum. Sure. That's all you need to call it. One of the greatest looking cars in the history of cars. And I'm not even a sports car guy. Right. No, I'm not either. But that is probably the greatest car ever made. It's dope. Yeah. So Magnum could rock that thing. 
And if you watch him get in and out of it. It's pretty funny. Just that alone is like, wow, that's a really well-made car. Well, yeah, and you're also like, it's Tom Selleck nine feet tall? Yeah, he kind of is. And are his shorts that small? But the, that Ferrari that, I think it's a 330, yes. It was, um, yes, his shorts were very small. Remember that? Um, a lot of thigh on that show. It was like a clown car, basically, <laughs> when he'd get out of it. Yeah. You know? Higgins would come after and Rick. Man, what a show. But that's not the Ferrari that we're talking about today. No. And I want to say, so there's some numbers that are in here. I went and looked up the real numbers. These are way, way, way low, by what, the way. What, as far as value mm-hmm. of the car? Yeah, if you want to get fascinated, everybody, even if you're not into Ferraris, just type in some of the names of the Ferraris that we're going to throw out there today in the years, and you will find an entire world out there oh, of... Yeah. Uh, breathtakingly rich people who buy Greek tycoons half a million dollar <laughs> cars yeah you know yeah I, I mean people value different things obviously I've never been a guy that that thought like a $75,000 car I've right. always just thought why would Somebody spend that kind of money. But some people, you know, they love their cars. So sure, yeah. That's their jam, you know? Well, that's kind of what this episode's for. It's a car episode from two guys who are not car guys. <laughs> so <laughs> no. dig in and prepare to be outraged Yeah, I've moment got, after moment. I've got my kind of SUV that my brother thinks is a minivan. Mm-hmm. It's a crossover. Is that what they're called? No, a crossover is like a car and an SUV. Yours is a minivan and an SUV crossover. Yeah, I drive a Honda Pilot now, yeah. everybody. Yeah. Uh, and the Pilot underwent a change from looking like a forerunner type of SUV mm-hmm. a, a couple of years ago, I think. Then they kind of <laughs> shrunk it and squatted it to where it sort of looks like their minivan. Put a clown nose on the front? <laughs> I tried to get a minivan. I tried to get the Honda Odyssey, and then it was like, no, we're not getting a minivan. Well, I saw it just yesterday, and I can tell you it's a fine-looking car. I appreciate it. Yeah, and you look totally normal driving <laughs> it. First time I've ever had leather seats under my butt. That is so nice. Here at 47 years old. And you're just like, fart. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's how you fart in a leather seat. Classy-like. Well, plus it doesn't absorb like... Uh, those cloth seats, they get a little stinky. Oh, they do. Yeah. They do, and, like, it accumulates over time, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's why if you're ever going to buy a uh, a used car, everybody, which, frankly, I think you always should. Smell the seat? No. <laughs> just do yourself a solid and splurge on the leather because you can wipe those off. Right. Uh, but I do, everyone, take heart. I still am true to my roots. I have my pickup truck because it's sure. paid for, yeah. and I still use it for hauling nice. garbage. That's nice. That's my side job. Is it? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. Good to know. Trash. Good to know. Do you have a card? Uh, no, you just flag me down. I'll just drive around. <laughs> yelling out the window. That's a good idea. <laughs> you don't need a card. Why waste money on this? Exactly. So we're talking Ferraris today, and we're talking specifically a two-year period in the 1970s when not one, but two Ferraris made the news for being buried. Kind of nuts. Yeah. If you if you want to um, terrify, horrify a Ferrari enthusiast, mm. talk about burying their their favorite car. Yeah, especially how they did it the second way. All right, should we start out with the first one? Yes. All right, 1977, uh, spring mm-hmm. in Beverly Hills, very lovely, I imagine. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's always lovely out there in Beverly Hills. Yeah, that's the slogan they put on the T-shirts. That's right. Uh, there was a socialite named, and she was married to 
Well, the, the story's a little convoluted, but she was the widow of a Texas oil tycoon named Ike West. Mm-hmm. And these are the, this is the bare bones beginning. She was married to this guy. He died. And she had a car that she loved, a Ferrari America. 330. 330 America, 1964. And her wish was to be buried in this thing. Right. And we'll go ahead and leap to the end and say that did happen. And now we'll fill it in with all the exciting details. Yeah. So this this lady, Sandra West, she actually was born and raised in Beverly Hills. That's right. Her parents owned a clothing store. And uh, so she was like middle class. Um, but she was a looker and she started dating like hunky stars, like Elvis. Yeah, she was hot to trot. And Sinatra. <laughs> I think that's actually fair to say. She was a fun-loving person, but also a very um, lonely person, as we will see. So she she um, starts dating around, and she ends up dating a guy named Saul West. Yeah, a little weird how this all happened. So Saul West was a Texas oil tycoon, and um, he was well, actually— he was. He was actually—well, he was in a way— but he was actually a younger, the younger brother of Ike West. Mm-hmm. So Sandra West, when she meets Saul, she doesn't know that Ike West exists, and she's not super happy with Saul. Apparently, he ran around on her and everything. Yeah, not a good guy. Um, and she was like, "Wait a minute, you have an, a brother, and he's an older brother, <laughs> and we all know what that means. And he's the true heir to yeah. the family fortune. Where is he? Do you say?" And Saul was like, oh, he's just a washed-up loser. He loves drugs and drinking, and the parents, they, they're sick of him. So they sent him down to Mexico to live with his bodyguard. Yeah, that's where you go to clean up. That's another episode right there. <laughs> we really need to is. go. I looked into Ike West. There's not a lot about him online. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, we're, is it disparaging to say that she was a gold digger? No. Yes, it is. She... Undertook and carried out a project successfully. Which is marry a rich guy? Right. But here's the thing. Like, she could have married Saul West. He was rich. It's not like he didn't have access to the family fortune. He was the one of the, I think, two brothers who was in the good graces of the family. Yeah, so it's not like he didn't have an allowance. Right. She apparently wasn't really happy with Saul West. So she went after Ike West, and it wasn't like just, you know, picking the lowest hanging fruit. Like, she had to work for this, and she did. She, like, took this dude who was down and out in Mexico, mm-hmm. living with his bodyguard. Not down and out in Beverly Hills. No. That was Nick Nolte. Yes, <laughs> because his family kicked him out of the U.S. to go live in Mexico and just basically do whatever you're going to do. God knows what this guy did in Mexico. Yeah, but she went down there, like you said, um, cleaned him up, mm-hmm. I guess got him off drugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, he must have thought, you know, this is this is great. This lady came all the way down here. My brother's girlfriend came all the way down here <laughs> right, to take care of me. I think she likes me. <laughs> well, she definitely did. And he turned over a new leaf. He said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to come back to the United States, mm-hmm. and I want to take the reins of this company yep. uh, that is rightfully mine. And this is my wife and or my wife-to-be. I'm going to ask her to marry me. And they got married. Yeah. So she cleans the dude up. They get married, and then first thing is she's like, okay, now we're moving to Beverly Hills. And I want a Ferrari. And he bought her a Ferrari. bought her that 1964 Ferrari America 330. Good-looking car. And um, I looked, and it's it was the Ferrari 330 SN, what, Chuck? 5055. And I was like, what is SN? I can't see. Serial I can't number? Find. Yes. Yeah. 
So I looked, and there are so few of those made, Ferraris, like these vintage Ferraris, mm-hmm. that they'll actually put the serial number after it. Yeah. And the serial number is usually a very small number. It's not like one of these ones that they ran out of numbers, so they started using letters. It's like four or five numbers usually, right? Yeah, like my Honda Pilot, when they gave it to me, they were like, here's your Honda Pilot serial number. Right. 809 slash AJ2912. You just like checked your watch in the middle of it? Yeah, I was like, that's the one I want. So they, they will actually, like, they, they, if you look, they'll look, they'll add the serial number after the name of like this specific car is what they're talking about and they can do that because this particular Ferrari America the 1964 that she had was one of just 50 ever made yes. so it was a hot car right out of the gate yeah all right so they're in Beverly Hills mm-hmm. he has health problems because he had that history of abusing his body um, he had some rapid weight fluctuations which is never great for your health and he ended up dying mm-hmm. Uh, in Las Vegas at the Flamingo Hotel, what a way to go, in 1968, mm-hmm. uh, under what is labeled here as mysterious circumstances. That's all it's labeled anywhere. I can't find anything out about it. I wonder how many people have died at the Flamingo Hotel under mysterious circumstances <laughs> yeah. over the years. Whose family successfully covered it up so that a couple of schmoes like us, years and years later, 40, 50 years later, can't find out what happened. Right. So how long were they married? Do you know when, what year they got married? So I believe in 1964. Okay. So they were married a short four years. Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, Sandra West became uh, heiress to that fortune. Yeah. She got Ike's f- f- claim to the, to the company. Wow. His share went to her after he died, right? And that's the thing. Like you can, you know, you can say what you will about, you know, her setting her sights on the true heir and him um, – living pretty fast, but they appeared to very much love each other. He left her his share of the family fortune. She mm-hmm. took his last name. Um, she said that she, when she, she filled out a will, she wanted to be buried in Texas next to her husband, yeah. not in Beverly Hills where she was born and raised and spent most of her life. Mm-hmm. So they, they were like an actual real couple. Um, so I have the impression that when he died, like there was something missing for sure in her life, especially considering that she is roundly known as a, a fairly um, a lonely person. Yeah, it was like uh, me and Emily. I married her for her dowry. Right. As the daughter of a uh, central Ohio um, auto glass magnate. Right, but it, it's real, <laughs> you know? That's right. So, well, maybe we should take what were you about to say? Uh, I was laughing at auto glass magnate. That's what he does. Okay. Seneco Glass, everybody. Plug in father-in-law's company. Nice job. You need someone to come out and you had a tree fall on your window, Rick will take care of you. That's nice. That is nice. Uh, which he's going to be at our Cleveland show, by the way, which is great. He should be. It's like right there. Yeah. Um, all right. Maybe we should take a break because I see the words Engelbert Humperdinck in front of me. <laughs> we'll come back and reveal the secret right after this. What's secret? Well, she dated Inkelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> okay. Yeah, after Ike West died, right? She yeah. basically made the scene. She became a Hollywood socialite. Yes, and I went to see him in concert when I was a little kid. Oh, really? Yeah, it was one of those, like, I always say my first concert was Cheap Trick because that was the first one that I paid to go right. see. But my parents, as much as they didn't like music, they 
weirdly took me to see Kenny Rogers, Engelbert mm-hmm. uh, Humperdinck, mm-hmm. and I think Bobby Goldsboro. Nice. Those are the three shows that I have some faint recollection of being in the building. Wow. Before. Well, those are some good early shows. And my mom saw Elvis. I didn't go, but. You, yeah, I think you told me yeah, that one. On that very last tour. Yeah. I think that was in the Graceland episode. Probably so. So, yes, Engelbert Humperdinck is one of the people she dated. She she made a name for herself dressing up as the Texas rodeo queen, mm-hmm. wearing like fringy stuff with rhinestones and a cowboy hat. She went down to rodeo drive and <laughs> we should we should say that she was like a genuine legitimate dyed in the wool car enthusiast. Not only did she have that America 330, she also had a uh, GTS. Yeah. Uh no, I'm sorry, a 365 GT and a Dino. Or is it a Dino? Do you know? I think it's probably Dino. Okay, and a Dino. She had three Ferraris, plus also a Stutz Blackhawk. I didn't you've... look that up. What's that? It is, uh, so Elvis liked that car a lot, actually. It's a, it looks like a luxury land yacht married a muscle car, and that's what came out. You, you should like look it up. Elvis. It's yeah. a neat, neat car. Yeah. But apparently it got like eight miles to the gallon. <laughs> Well, that's also why Elvis loved it. <laughs> and it weighed like two and a half tons. I don't want an efficient car, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, so, you know, she would do crazy things like, well, I mean, this isn't super crazy, but she would bop around town in that Ferrari and like go to the uh, Chasen's in Beverly Hills and order a burger to go and <laughs> speed out of there in her Ferrari and her rodeo outfit. So she was sort of well-known in town as a bit of an eccentric. And by that, I think... We mean she liked pills a lot. Well, too. sure, it's the seventies. So uh, yeah, so she lived fast, but she had fun. I guess is the way to put it, right? Lived fast, died young. She did die young. So in her America, she uh, got into a car wreck and sustained some injuries. And she seemed to be on the mend. She was getting better, but she, from what I understand, she was given a nurse and a doctor to oversee her, the drugs that she was taking right. as a result of the car wreck while she was mending. Um, and then one night, I guess she had taken too much or else she got her hands on some other drugs and she overdosed apparently on codeine and barbiturates from what I saw. Yeah, very sad. However, <clears throat> this is where the story gets a little strange. Th- that was in 77 when mm-hmm. she passed. And in 1972, five years previous, she actually thought ahead of time and said, I want to be buried next to my husband See, in my lace nightgown mm-hmm. by Porter Loring, who was, I guess, just the- The go-to mortuary mortician. The hot mortician. In San Antonio. <laughs> uh, and I want to be buried in my Ferrari with, and this is a quote, with the seat slanted comfortably. Yeah. She didn't want to be sitting straight upright for eternity. Of course not. So here's the thing. For her will to be carried out, it fell to her brother-in-law slash ex-boyfriend, Saul West. Saul was not very amused by the prospect of having to do this. Oh, I'm sure he was like, are you kidding me? So um, After all this? Yeah, because not only is it bearing a Ferrari, the other Ferraris got auctioned off Mm -hmm. for ridiculous amounts of money. Some of her jewelry after her death was auctioned off for things. One, I think one of them was like 350 grand. In 1977 dollars for one of her rings. Wow. Another one was like 150 grand for another ring. And her Ferraris were auctioned off. So her estate was being liquidated. The idea of burying one of these cars with her 
who I would guess he probably didn't like very much. Yeah. Um, that was bad enough. But on top of it, this funeral was going to cost about $15,000 in 1977 dollars. Right. So he went to a judge and said, this lady was wacko. There's no way I should have to do this. Judge now. And the judge is like, all right, wait, we're going to put a hold on all this. Let's put Ms. Mrs. West on ice in a mausoleum. <laughs> like literally. And uh, we're going to sort all this out. So they did. Yeah. So her physician, Dr. Raymond Weston, um, had to testify and says, well, she was a bizarre woman for sure. Um, and he described her as a psychotic with a tendency toward paranoia and hallucination. Mm-hmm. But the judge was like, you know, it really doesn't matter if these were her wishes then it's legally we have to carry them out. So the final ruling came down that, yes, we are going to bury this woman in her Ferrari. Right. And by we, I mean you, Saul. Yeah, the judge was not involved in that part. (laughs) So Saul did it. He uh, hired Porter Loring, as as Sandra had had stipulated, and um, uh, they shipped the Ferrari out from Beverly Hills uh, to be outfitted with Sandra who was wearing her lace nighty, mm. put into the car mm-hmm. and then put on into a casket, an enormous giant casket, and then um, taken by train out to the graveyard where a crane was waiting. To, oh, the Ferrari was in a casket? Yeah, they put the whole thing in a casket. Wow. Well, I guess that makes sense. Sure it does. It's a big old casket. Wasn't the, didn't Elon Musk send <clears throat> up, oh no, of course, that was a Tesla. <laughs> right. I was like, wait a minute, wasn't there a Ferrari in space? No, it's a Tesla. Yeah, that would have not made it any sense whatsoever. No. <laughs> and it makes you wonder, like, who really is Starman? Which of his enemies was unlucky enough to be shot alive into space to die out there <laughs> while the whole world was watching, you know? In that suit. Because he's got a touch of supervillain to him. Oh, you think? Yeah, we're just all very fortunate that he's not 100% supervillain because right. we'd be in big trouble if he was. He keeps it all in check. Sure. So the story uh, very sadly sort of ended... Although she got her wish, she didn't. She didn't have a, like a lot of friends. Like apparently, the people that attended her funeral were her attorneys and nurses and doctors and stuff like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was sort of a sad ending to this lady's wacky life to be buried in a nineteen foot long, ten foot wide, nine foot deep grave right. in her Ferrari. Right, which they filled with cement around so nobody could sure. try to get the Ferrari out or that nightgown. But she got her wish. Her wish came true. Yeah, so happy ending? Sure. Sad ending. Happy. Uh, and apparently now there, uh, it is still visited by people. Uh, where is it? San Antonio? Mm-hmm. People go by and see where this Ferrari is buried. Yes. You went uh, to San Antonio. Did you go by there? I didn't. And I knew about this, but I didn't realize she was in San Antonio. We would have totally gone. That sounds like something that. You guys will put on your list. Totally. Well, it's on the list now. I'll tell you that. Should we take a break? No. Should we barrel into the second one and then take a break? Yeah. All right. We stay in California because that's where this kind of crazy stuff happens. Well, we have to go back to California because we were just in San Antonio. Oh, good point. Watching the, the 300 spectators watch Sandra <laughs> West get buried. It was really weird. That's right. So we go to South Central Los Angeles, the West Athens part. And I didn't know Mm-mm. where West Athens was until I looked it up. 119th Street, roughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of... By the 110, right? Yeah, it's kind of like east of Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about. I know. I'm I just, just made up that 110 thing. <laughs> I 
I looked it up too, though. I was like, because I, I had seen it referred to as South Central, but then everything else said West Athens, and I'm like, what is that? So I looked. It's you know like, where Beverly Hills and Hollywood are, and that's it, right? Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. In Venice, sure. Venice by, by the water, <laughs> but it is. It's like in the south part of South Central, the southwest part of South Central. I think and that seems about right. Okay. Near yes. Okay. All right. So we're oriented, <laughs> and. Uh, there's a staff reporter from the LA Times named Priscilla Painton mm-hmm. uh, who's going to figure in because she kind of covered this story in, in depth. And well, this story is a little weird. We're going to tell you the story, but the story is not quite accurate. But we're going to not go ahead quite and, what it seems. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and tell it as it was originally written, which is what people thought it was for decades and decades. That's right. So there were some kids uh, digging around in the dirt in their neighborhood, which is what kids are. Or to do. There's probably a little horseplay. I'm sure one kid was probably self conscious. <laughs> there was a lot of kid stuff going on. Lots of kid stuff. And they were digging around and they felt something not too deep that felt hard and <laughs> said, This, you know, I guess they probably brushed some dirt away and said, hey, This looks like, like maybe the roof of a car. Right. That's a weird thing to find at 119th Street. That's kind of a weird thing to find anywhere buried underground, you know? Yeah, so they, they got a cop involved uh, pretty quickly, which was, you know, a great thing for these kids to do. I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah. I would have gotten a shovel and seen what was going on. Oh, yeah? Oh, sure. So, okay, well, these kids were a little a little more do-gooder than you, apparently, yes. right? So they flagged down a cop, and then the next thing you know, there's two detectives on the scene, uh, Detective Joe Sabas and Detective Dennis Carroll, who would become forever known around his precinct as Lenny Carroll because Priscilla Painter painting called him that accidentally she put down that was his name in the story oh if only joe had become carl yeah <laughs> carl and lenny that would have been so wonderful so dennis carroll and joe sabas were working this thing when priscilla Payton comes out and she's watching this this whole thing goes going down and this is what she's seeing she sees all of a sudden now there's a there's a earth mover mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of sheriff's deputies with shovels also earth movers? Sure. Yeah. But different kind, you know. And they're digging around this car and they're, they're getting more and more dirt off of it. And um, Sabas and Carol see that the, 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 there's a car under there, but it's covered in like rugs and plastic. It's somebody tried to kind of entomb the car, or mummify it, I guess is how one of the guys from Jalopnik put it. Yeah. And what it was, was a Dino 246 GTS. Mm-hmm. And this also had a serial number. 07862. Yeah. And uh, they kind of dug through the car. Mm-hmm. They they eventually got it out. They dug through the trunk. There was no one buried in it. There no. No drugs or big uh, suitcases of cash or something you might expect to find in a buried Ferrari. Yeah. you Like who would just bury a Ferrari? This yeah. became an actual like huge question. Well, they, they ran the plates and found – pretty quickly that it had been stolen, that it was listed as stolen. And so they started digging into it, right? Literally. They did. Yes. That, was, that was a good catch. Yes. So um, they found that back in 1974, this was 1978. Eight. In 1974, the car had been reported stolen by the original owner, a man named uh, Rosendo Cruz. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rosando Cruz and his wife had gone to dinner at the Brown Derby on Wilshire um, for their anniversary. Yeah, well, we should point out, though, as originally reported, they said that it was in surprisingly good condition. Okay, this is Priscilla Payton saying that yeah, in the Los which Angeles is Times. Kind of an important uh, key 
little clue here. Right. Yeah. Okay. So um, at the Brown Derby, uh, Rosando Cruz and his wife were celebrating their um, their anniversary, and he had just bought her recently a car. I think for her birthday or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was doing pretty well, apparently. He, he was a plumber by trade. I would guess he owned his own company. Um, but he had bought his wife a, a, a Ferrari that at the time had cost uh, about $22,000 is how much it had set him back, which is well over $70,000 in 2017. Yeah. Okay. So – he, when they got there, he had noticed that the valet was looking a little too anxious to get the keys from him. And he's like, I'm not letting these guys get Ferris Bueller my car. And his <laughs> wife was like, what does that mean? He's like, just give it a, a, a decade or so. Yeah. And you'll see. Uh, so he decided to just go park it himself on, on Wilshire Boulevard. And Much safer. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. And so when he came back, the car was gone. That's right. The car was gone. Um there were no leads as to who took it, uh, as far as the detectives were concerned. And the farmers insurance group said, "You know what? We're going to pay. Uh, we're going to pay this thing off at a loss of that twenty-two thousand five hundred dollar mm-hmm. uh, dollar 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 <laughs> dollars to the legal owner, um, which at this point was the was the Bank of America. Very very big point as yeah. well." Okay, so so basically, the, what you just said, the upshot of it is, they said, okay, we looked into it. The car was stolen. It's gone. Uh, farmers insurance. You need to pay the the owner of the car, which is the bank, and it's all just done. This is four years prior, right? That's right. So when the car turns up, um, like you said, Priscilla Payton. Well, you want to take a break? Mm, nice cliffhanger. Okay. I took nice cliffhanger as a yes. You meant yes, right? Yes. Okay, good. Well, we're back. <laughs> so, um, you, like you said, Priscilla Payton had said the car seemed in surprisingly good condition. She painted a, a good picture. She did, but an a un, un, incorrect picture. That's right. So, basically, she set off this huge frenzy among Ferrari enthusiasts. A Dino, a 1974 Dino had been discovered underground. Yeah had been written off by an insurance company and was in surprisingly good condition, that meant that they could probably get a pretty good deal on it and everybody wanted it and everybody started lighting up the switchboard at Farmers Insurance. Yeah, and I get the idea that not only could they get this Ferrari and and do whatever little restoration it needed, but there's also just the story behind it right. made it kind of a cool thing. Like yeah. This was the car buried in South Central Los Angeles. Yeah. And, and I look mean, at it now. This made national news. Oh, yeah. It, it also, Sandra West's burial made national news, and it, that had just been several months before. Yeah. Um, so, the you know, the two were compared. It was buried Ferrari fever in the oh, U.S. Yeah. in I the didn't late 70s. how close that was. Very close. Interesting. I mean, different years, but she was buried in May, and this happened, I think, in... Um, like the following year, like less than a year later. Okay. Okay? All right. So the car actually was not in good shape at all. No. To say the least. Uh, there were, mm-hmm. and boy, I love this. This is why it's a Ferrari. 21 layers of paint, mm-hmm. <laughs> 14 layers of primer, seven layers of paint. Um, they were, it was in bad shape. The paint was freckled. It was 
had white spots all over it. Yeah. Uh, rust, of course. You can't bury a Ferrari and cover it with rugs. Right. And expect it to, you know, that'll take care of it. So rust had eaten through it, uh, through the body. Um, the leather interior was in bad shape. Uh, what did the thieves do with some towels? So they they were smart enough to stuff towels into the intake to keep dirt and worms and stuff from getting into the engine. Oh, But okay. they neglected to do that in the exhaust pipe. They had put some towels in between the window cracks. Uh-huh. Uh, I but guess then they didn't to roll hang the windows it, up? I think to dangle the towels over the outside. Oh, okay. But then didn't roll the windows all the way up. <laughs> so they weren't doing a very good job. But in their defense, they had to bury a Ferrari in the middle of Los Angeles. How did this... How did this not get noticed? I don't know. But the cops, when they canvassed the area, the neighbors were like, we have no idea. That's nuts. The residents of the house were renters, and they'd only lived there for three months. They had no idea. So they, the cops just basically were like, well, it's a stolen car that was already written off. It's a it's a done case. We're not going to break our backs trying to find out what happened here. It's yeah. pretty obvious what happened here. Yeah. So they, they sent it off to farmers. That's right. In very bad shape. Um, I mean, even pulling this thing out of the dirt, obviously, the engine compartment uh, got crushed, Mm -hmm. uh, all scratched up and gouged. The windshield was smashed, which Rick Sinabogan at Seneca Glass could have taken care of. (laughs) (laughs) Could have fixed you right up. Fixed you right up in an afternoon. Uh, (laughs) Actually, probably not, because I imagine a Ferrari windshield like that is pretty hard to come by. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Rick. But uh, the idea that someone could restore this thing was not true, seemingly. Yeah, and well, f- like Farmers was getting such um, so many calls and were having to deal with the public on such like a large scale that they decided to just put it on display. Right. So anybody who called in inquiring about it, they said, well, here's the address. You can actually go bid on it if you want it. And um, people did. But they didn't really make too many serious bids. They mostly just stripped the car as best they could. Yeah. Somebody took the dipstick even, this Jalopnik article said. I wonder if that was just let me get a piece of this thing or if it was like I I can't find a dipstick for my – Maybe both. Dino. Or eBay doesn't exist yet, but it will someday. (laughs) I'm going to sell this thing for a million bucks, you know? Yeah. So uh, this was a couple of weeks on display in Pasadena. Where, uh, as this article says, everything that was not bolted down was kind of nicked from it. I can't believe they just didn't have security or something. Yeah, I, I don't. I guess they weren't doing a very good job. I mean, it was a junked Ferrari, so. But still, I mean, they were taking bids on it. They didn't. It wasn't like you know, come come take what you want sale. It's not like a starving artist sale at a hotel <laughs> conference room or something, you know. All right. So the long and short of it is, in the end, they did take some bids after it had been. Uh, scrapped and gouged by onlookers. Right. So here's here's where the legend kind of picks up again, right? You've got this car that has like a legendary status already, but it's also totally tragic. Yeah. If you are a Ferrari enthusiast, this is a sad, sad story. Um, but it's purchased by somebody, some unknown person, actually like a, a mechanic, I think, who owned his own garage. Yeah, in Burbank. Tried to to start it, and like for for some for some time, there were some dispatches coming out of this restoration project because the public apparently knew that this guy had actually gotten it to start, but then the engine just collapsed. Yeah, and it didn't look very good, right? Yeah, and what did he pay? But like between five and nine grand. Yeah, 
it's a pretty good deal, but it was in pretty bad shape, yeah. right? So after that, the Ferrari just kind of disappears for a little while. And then somehow the Ferrari enthusiast public could confirm that the thing had been resurrected. Mm-hmm. It had been licensed. It had been restored to its former beauty. They had a new plate called Dug Up. So great. Right? Yeah. But then it just is gone. It's not listed on any of the Ferrari registries or the dyno registries or anything like that. It's just they know it's out there, but they don't know where it is. It just becomes like this phantom, which makes it even cooler. Yeah. And that's where the the story ended originally. There were there were a couple of Jalopnik articles, and it's a good website. It really is. It's a great website. And there was one Jalopnik writer in particular who was like, "That was a pretty good article, but I want to know more about it." His name was Mike Spinelli, and he did a follow up. He dig he dug in even further to this legend. He wanted to find that Ferrari, and he actually ultimately was successful. But what he turned up, Chuck, was an even bigger twist to the story than digging up a Ferrari in the middle of South Central Los Angeles. That's right. He ultimately found Dennis Carroll, that uh, one of the original lead detectives, uh, Lenny and Carl. He was Carl. <laughs> <laughs> and he learned the true story, which was kids did not find this thing playing in the dirt. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen at all. It was actually discovered because of a tip from a CI. And if you've seen The Wire, you know what that stands for. It's a confidential informant. He was a heroin addict. And when I say he, I assume it was a guy for some reason. Yeah, it could go either way. Yeah. I just hear a confidential informant heroin addict and I think, dude. Mm-hmm. Not fair, ladies. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't leave us dude. out of that circle. Uh, so he and his partner had made a uh, – Lenny had, had made up that story about the kids finding it. I guess because it was a, a police matter. It was a confidential informant. Right. So they had to why. cook up this fake story. They – I don't know if they had to, but they they, just, chose to. they wanted to <laughs> sniff Peyton off the case. That's right. Um, so so they uh, yeah they just protected their source and said it was kids playing, and that became how this car was found for decades. That was the story. Any anyone you heard that story from, mm-hmm. unless you were probably the wife of Joe Sabas or the wife of uh, Dennis Carroll, yeah. They would say, they would start with some kids were playing in a yard and found this car. Totally made up, right? So that's twist number one that they found. Twist number two is actually the fact that this was all a, a setup job to begin with. Yeah. By the owner. Did we say he was a plumber? Yes. Yeah. The plumber uh, basically, I mean, what, could he not afford it? So he decided to have it professionally stolen to get an insurance claim? Yeah, that's my impression. That's what he did. We don't know the reason behind it. Though. I think my interpretation, and it's up for interpretation because he was never charged with this crime. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was written off as a, a loss, right? Right. Um, Which we all pay for. Let's be honest. Right. <laughs> um, the the this is my this is the Josh Clark interpretation of this crime. Okay. Uh, Rosando Cruz very much loved his life, his mm-hmm. wife, so he bought her a Ferrari that he couldn't afford. Mm-hmm. But did I say he very much loved his wife? Yes. He didn't want to tell her that he needed the Ferrari back. Ah. Uh, he arranged for it to be stolen and maybe make some money on the side as well. And then he could pretend to be mad that the Ferrari was stolen and all of his problems would be solved. Right. Which is why he cooked up the story about being wary yeah. of the valet parkers. So this is why I need to park it on Wilshire. Mm-hmm. And that's where it was arranged, prearranged to be taken. And... <laughs> He he kind of thought like, oh, you're gonna, 
like strip it for parts and then drive right. it into a ravine. Yes. Which makes sense when, yeah. in a weird way. Right. Then you could fence the parts so you got some extra money mm-hmm. and then he would pay them out of the insurance claim. That's not how it went down. He didn't say bury this thing in South Central LA. Right. Without stripping it of basically any parts. I think they took the um, the Ferrari logo off of the back of the car. Oh, sure. But everything else was points to the idea that, that the thieves were going to- <laughs> it did. Mike D's first necklace, uh-huh. right? But they, they, every, all of the, the way that the car was buried points to the idea that the, the thieves were going to come back for it someday. Right. They, like, there was an attempt to preserve it. Let me throw some rugs on this. <laughs> and not only are we getting paid for stealing the Ferrari, but we're going to dig it up and drive it out of that hole one day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because it's got all-wheel drive probably. That's pretty amazing. So um, from what I understand, Rosando Cruz was never charged with this crime, even though the cops knew. Good for him. I guess. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and that was just my interpretation. I don't mean to cast any shade on him, but just from my research, if that's not the case, my apologies, but I, that that is what it looks like to me. Here's right. the thing. He didn't get the check. The Bank of America got the well, check. Well, yeah. So if that was the point, he didn't think it through very well. Well, but he was out from under those payments at least. Right. That's why I think he did it. He didn't have to pay that, what? like $700 a month. I can't imagine, though. I mean, like, think about it. Just think about buying an $80,000 car. Yeah. That's a lot of dough. That's a lot of dough. It's a lot, Chuck. But now that car would be worth about $300,000. Well, it's still around, though, right? Yes, it is. Sorry. There's still more to the story. Yeah. A guy named Brad Howard actually owns this car that was buried and trashed underground, which is a pretty amazing end to this story is that this thing is actually restored to its former glory and still mm-hmm. owned by a guy. Yeah, and the 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 guy Mike Spinelli makes this point that um when the Ferrari was found, it was in pretty bad shape despite what Priscilla Payton said in the article. Yeah. But it could have been in way 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 worse shape. And the reason why it wasn't in in worse shape than it was was because those years, 1970 between 1976 1977 and most of 1978, there was a huge drought in Southern California. Oh, yeah. The same drought that actually created skateboarding Mm -hmm. because nobody could uh, fill up their pools. So skaters started skating the Z-Town, Dogtown Z-Boys. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) They they started skateboarding because of this drought. That same drought preserved this car. A little bit. Underground, more than it would have been had it rained a lot. Right. And that's the end of that chapter. (laughs) <laughs> Paul Harvey style. So uh, you got anything else? No. I, I mean, I, I wonder if this has happened again. Maybe we'll do a whole suite on buried cars. I would love to know that. Yeah, if somebody, if you know that there's, especially if somebody buried another Ferrari, let us know. We'll add it and make it a hat trick. Please. Uh, in the meantime, you can go look up buried Ferraris all over the Internet and on Jalopnik in particular, who did a great job of digging this story up. That was unintentional. Uh, and since I said it was unintentional, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this another teacher writes in. We always like to feature teachers in their classes. Hey guys, uh, longtime listener, first time writer. Just listen to How the Sun Works episode again. I wanted to thank you for selecting it as a stuff you should know select. Did you do that? I did. Oh, why'd you do that to <laughs> us? I don't know. I just thought it should be out there again because it's a legendarily one of our uh, most troublesome shows. Yes, it is. She said it brought back, uh, brought back awesome memories, though. How the Sun Works was my very first episode. 
that I listened to, and it's the one that made me decide to continue listening. How about that? To, to give you a second chance. And she's like, are these guys for real? <laughs> uh, I think it was your disclaimer that you were not professionals, wanted corrections, and that your continuing remarks for that were badly uh, screwing this up. And it made me want to keep listening. Uh, for the record, I thought you were charming, relatable, and delightfully human and wanted to hear more. Every time I listen to the show and hear you mention the Awful Sun podcast, I want to write in and tell you that that's the one that actually started my eight-year and counting love affair. Wow, we How about that? That's something. Uh, like many others who have been listening, your show has become very special to me, not only because it's helped me through many long car trips and intensive home projects, but because I've listened through some very formative years of my life. I started listening as a teenager, and I feel like y'all are friends who have been with me through high school, college, and my early married years. What? And now I am a teacher. What? I teach 7th and 8th grade uh, math, science, language arts, and social studies, and I feel like I'm constantly telling my students facts and tidbits that I learned that week from your show. And now I am middle-aged. And now I'm retired. <laughs> now I'm dead. Uh, seriously, it never fails, guys. Thanks again for all you do. Looking forward to many more years to come. That is from Hannah Barton and... Uh, Ms. Barton or Mrs. I don't know which. It's probably Ms. Barton's class, right? Yeah, Ms. Barton and your class. Hello, thank you for listening. Ahoy! Thank you for giving us a a second chance after that being your first episode. Yeah, that was a great email, Ms. Barton. Thank you very much for writing it. Good luck to you and your class. It's going to be a great year next year. That's right. Uh, if you want to tell us about your class, we love hearing from teachers like Chuck said. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. I'm at Josh Um Clark. Chuck's at, uh, well, Chuck's at Movie Crush on Twitter, too. You can get to him there. Um, you can also get to him on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant or slash Stuff You Should Know. Send us all an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 